balance of power. What do you think of right away, right off the bat? Government. Me too. Right? Checks and balances. Okay. Somebody else? What about the Cold War? We had a Cold War a couple of decades or so ago. Not a historian, but Russia, USA, Cold War. In other words, they built up their nuclear arms and whatnot, and so that there would be what? A balance. And they called it the Cold War because one country was saying, I got all this firepower on this side, and the other one saying, I've got all this firepower on the other side, and no war ever occurred, no nuclear weapons were ever fired across the Atlantic or the Pacific because what? There was a balance of power. One was just as afraid of what the other one do, did, and there was a balance, and so they called it the Cold War. So that's what we're going to talk about today is entitled, our lesson's entitled A Balance of Power, and I want to read a definition of that for you. It says, an equilibrium of power sufficient to discourage or prevent one nation or party from imposing its will on or interfering with the interest of other. It implies a situation where there are opposing forces, right? One force or movement or character appears to be in direct opposition to the other and prevents one from overcoming the other. There must be balance. And so it is with our topic today, fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. Stories are awesome. Stories are great because they, they teach us. They leave an impression on us. If I give you information today, which we will be sharing some information, uh, a few things that the uh, Lord allowed me to learn from Scripture, but if I told you a story and left you with a story, it'll leave a greater impression. So if I give you information, it's like a dry erase board. I can, it uh, doesn't take much to erase it from your mind, but if I tell you a story, it's like an indelible marker. You can't get it out. You, can't, you just can't wash it out. So we're going to have a, a story today. Does everybody have a Bible? You got uh, look up Joshua 3 on your phone today. And we're going to read through this. We'll try to move as quickly as we can. But I want to tell you a story today that's going to illustrate. And uh, at the end of it, God is going to share with us why he has this in his word. Because he's going to... He's going to tell us, I want to teach you something from this story. I want you to learn a lesson about life and about my relationship with you from this story. It tells us very plainly, I've got a point. The point is, here it is, and we'll see that at the bottom of it. We'll see that in the end of Joshua 4. So, so let's read together. Joshua, we're going to start right at the beginning. And I'm going to sort of narrate it as we go. So listen carefully and follow along. I appreciate it. So then Joshua rose early in the morning and they set out for Acacia 
grove and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. All right, so they've come. The men have been a lot of wandering. For 40 years they've been wandering. And finally they're, they're there. They're at the gateway to the promised land. And, and, and Joshua says, hey, whew, we're going to stop and have, take a little rest here. Gather our, gather our thoughts. Assemble ourselves. Get organized because we're fixing to, we're fixing to cross over into the promised land. And he says this to the people. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp and they commanded the people saying, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from the place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it that you may know the way by which you must go. For you have not passed this way before. So I want you to write down, the first word I want you to write down is space. All right, space. You do not come near it that you may know the way by which you must go. And Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Then Joshua spoke to the priest saying, take up the ark of the covenant and cross over before the people. So write down the ark. So they took up the ark of the covenant and went before the people. And Joshua, and the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You shall command the priest to bear the ark of the covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. Write down the word stand. Okay? So Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua says, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail, without fail, write down among you, and write down without fail. No, these are just little words. That we'll get to it at the end. From before the Canaanites and Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Gergoshites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. So everybody, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drive out everybody. You'll, be, you'll have victory over every, everybody. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into Jordan. Now therefore take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe, and it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priest who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters that come down from upstream, and they shall be stand, they shall stand as a heap. So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan, and of the feet of the priest, and the feet of the priest who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the time of harvest. Steve, put that picture up for you. We're going to use that in a little while. 
that the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zeratan. So the waters that went down into the sea of the, of the Arab, Araba, the salt sea, failed and were cut off and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. So here's, they've had their little, let's, uh, take, let's camp here for a couple of days, get organized, and then I want you to, here's what I want you to do. The priests are going to set out with this ark. The ark represented the presence of God, the person of God. They're going to set out carrying the ark. But I want you to stay far enough away from, from them that all of y'all can see him, okay? I want y'all to stay far enough behind so you see what they're doing and follow them. And so after the ark of the covenant, the priests, the moment they put foot into the Jordan River, this is the Jordan River in spring, okay? We're not talking about the buffalo, floating the buffalo, okay? We're talking about the Jordan River in the spring. So if I was a priest with an ark carrying a big heavy box on my shoulder with a pole, that'd be a little, that'd be a little scary to say, okay, I'm going to step off into that, and we're going to wade across that with this big heavy box on a pole on our shoulder. That'd be a little frightening to me. I don't know about you. But that's the Jordan River in the, in the spring when it's a harvest. But the moment they step in, in an instant, in a moment, the waters are walled up on one side, and then everything at distal to it going down to the, to the Dead Sea, it just drains off. It just drains off. In fact, it drains off. It's, it's such a miraculous moment that the, it says they crossed over on dry ground. They weren't even slopping through the mud. And can you imagine how, much, how high the water must have been and how a absolutely stunning it must have been for them to kick up dust as they crossed the Jordan River. But that's what happened. The Scripture gives us a detail of it. God walled off one side to uh, no telling how high the water went. And not only that, but we're not talking about like a little group like we're, <laughs> we've got today. We're talking about tens of thousands Hundred, maybe hundreds of thousands of people, children, babies, goats, sheep, donkeys, belongings, everything they had in their possession had to get across the Jordan. Had to get across the Jordan that day. This is a this is something that's this is a something that is legend. This is something that's spectacular. This is a miracle in the lives of the Jewish people. So it'd be a good idea to be able to remember, to call it to remembrance, wouldn't it? To be able to recall what God did that day. And so God in his wisdom tells Joshua. And it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed the Jordan that the Lord spoke to Joshua and he says, take for yourselves 12 men from the people, one from every tribe and command them saying, take for yourselves 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan from the place where the priest's feet stood. You shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the 12 men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe, and Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and reach, eat, and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder. So these were stones from the, from the bottom of the Jordan River, dry as a bone, 
they, they probably lifted them up and it was just dry underneath. But it's a, not a little stone, it's a big one, about probably all a guy could carry on his shoulder. All right? He's crossing over here. And Jordan said, and Joshua said, now when you guys, you 12 guys, get over to the other side, I want you to stack those up because that's going to be a monument. That's going to be a remembrance. That's going to be a reminder to you and to everyone who sees it. This will be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it crossed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off and all these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. Forever. Write that word down. Forever. And the children of the Israel did so just as Joshua commanded and took up the 12 stones. I won't go through. I'll skip forward. So the so the priest who bore the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished. All right. That the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. And the people hurried and crossed over. Then it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over. Write down all the people. All the people. I'll skip forward. On that day, about 40,000 prepared for war. That, that's another deal. On that day, the Lord, verse 14 in chapter 4, on that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they feared Moses all the days of his life. And then the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Command the priest to bear the ark of the testimony to come up from the Jordan. Joshua therefore commanded the priest, saying, Come up from the Jordan. And it came to pass when the priest who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord had come from the midst of the Jordan and the soles of the priest's feet touched the dry land that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed its banks as before. So when they stepped in, it was, it was boom. And when they stepped out, right back to that. Right back to that. What a, what a story. What a story to tell the kids. But what's the lesson? What's the point? Here's the point. Now the people came up from the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month and they camped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. Then he spoke to the children of Israel saying, when your children ask their fathers in time to come saying, what are these stones? then you will let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over the Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we crossed over. That all the peoples of the Lord, all the peoples of the earth, may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. That you may fear the Lord your God forever. That all of that stuff, all of that was to, for him to know that the, that the hand of the Lord is mighty. The mighty. And that you fear the Lord 
forever. That's the point. That's the whole deal. The whole deal that from the time they rested for the three days and got organized till the priests set out on their journey, the people followed. They stepped in the water. The water was the river. This raging river was walled on one side. It was dry as a bone and drained down into the Dead Sea on the other. The gathering of the stones, the stacking of them, it was all to make this point that God, you will know that God is mighty and that you will fear Him. That you will fear Him. That's the lesson. Lesson learned for the... So I wanted to ask you something. I want you to be thinking about something. And we're going to talk about more as we end our, our, our time today. And that is, suppose you're the father, all right? Generation or two passes and you've got this son or daughter you're bringing up and oh, they're about 10, 11, 12. I guess 12 is kind of the age of accountability in the Jewish population. In other words, you've got to start taking responsibility for your own life when you're 12. So that you, you're, you're, you're the father. You got your son or daughter there and it's in the spring, the time of harvest and the Jordan is like this. And you, so you bring them up, you take them out one day and uh, you're out walking with them trying to teach them something, trying to start helping them take responsibility of their life, teach them to be an adult. And you're walking along the Jordan River and you, and you stop because there's a stack of stones there, 12 stones stacked maybe in the triangle, pyramid. And your son or daughter says, Dad, what are those stones there for? Why, why are they there? And uh, so you take them up to the edge of the Jordan River, and I mean, it is like the Colorado River. I mean, it is just raging, bouncing off rocks, bouncing off the sides. It, you know, it's a, what is it, a class five rapid, class four rapid. And I want you to think about what do you tell them? What do you tell them when they ask, Dad, what are those stones for? And you take them up to the edge of the river. So now let's go to Psalms Psalms 48, I'm sorry, Psalms 34, excuse me. And let's begin our, uh, our study of Psalms. Psalm 34. Psalms 34. So I'll read it. Don't follow along with me. Verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him. O oh, fear the Lord, you His saints. There is no want to those who fear Him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord and shall not lack any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? 
Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears, and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart, and saves such as as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. He guards all His bones... Not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. God redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him will be condemned. I don't know if you pick up as we read through that. There's a lot of contrast and a lot of of, uh, statements in that uh, psalm that seem to be in direct opposition to one another. It seems like God is very kind and merciful and gracious at times, but it seems that he's very uh, very wrathful and holy at others. And uh, in fact, if you look at uh, if you look at the third verse of Psalms 34, if you look at the third verse of Psalms 34, it says, uh, I'm sorry, no, verse number four. I saw the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. He delivered me from all my fears. He took all my fears away. But then in verse 9 he says, Oh, fear the Lord, you saints. There is no want to those who fear him. There's no want to them who fear him. So God is the one who takes away all my fears. But then he is encouraging and commanding me to fear the Lord. To have a fear of the Lord. So here's the first thing I want you to... So the question is, which is it? <laughs> Does God want me to fear or not to fear? Does God want me to have fears or, or just have a fear of Him? Is that the fear I need to have? So here's the first point. Write this one down. Number one. There is a... There is a diametrical difference. I'll share with that. I couldn't find a better way of saying it, but I... There is a (laughs) diametrical difference. I want to put these together so you remember. A diametrical difference and a succinct Similarity in being afraid of God. And the fear of God. Okay. So that's... So what does diametrical mean? A lot of mouthful. Uh, I didn't either, really. I know that word. It came to my mind while I was... Polar opposite. So there's this polar opposite difference, okay? This difference that is uh, uh, this huge east from west difference between being afraid of God and the fear of God. And we're going to see what that is. 
And then there's a succinct similarity between the two. What does succinct mean? And think precise. That was mean. So, so I'm going to tell you that the difference in being afraid of God and the fear of God is not only diametrically different; it's succinctly similar. It's precisely the same. I'm going to, to share with you that how that is today. Hopefully, Lord willing. All right. So we look at we look at this verse and says, "I sought the Lord, and He heard me and delivered me from all my fears." And then He says, "Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints. There is no want." For those who fear Him, and we see this, we see this, we see this give and go of of these scriptures. God, at one moment it seems He's gracious, merciful, kind, and then at the next moment in this passage we see that He seems to be wrathful and holy and 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 distant uh, from us. But we're going to see how those two can come together. Let me uh, turn to Isaiah. 11 and verse 3. Isaiah 11 and verse 3. I'm going to read a couple of verses before that. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse and a branch that shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Who's that talking about? Who's scripture talking about? Jesus. And it says, His delight is in the fear of the Lord. He delights to fear in the Lord. He delights to fear in the Lord. Jesus, you know what Jesus' most common, uh, most commonly spoken uh, command during His time on earth was? Anybody know? Tanya? The, most, the thing he most often commanded the people around him and his followers to do. Yeah. I didn't know it either. I looked it up. Do not fear. So here you have this guy who's, he, he, he just gets all giddy in fear in the Lord, but then he comes to earth and he says, don't be afraid. Don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of me. Don't be afraid of me. So which is it? <laughs> which is it? Well, I'll tell you. I'm going to tell you it's both and. It's both and. And we'll learn about that. Number two. All right, number two. Fearing God... Fearing God is the key to knowing God and it opens the door To the blessings of God. That's your second moral of the story, okay? The second thing you want to remember is fearing God is the key to knowing God, and it opens the door to the blessings of God.
Let's see, verses 8. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him. O fear the Lord, you His saints. There is no want to those who fear Him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. So the Lord is good. Blessed is the man. Man, happy is the man. Got it. Peaceful, content, happy is the man who trusts in Him. There's no want for those who fear Him. Young, lack, young lions lack and suffer hunger. But those who seek the Lord won't lack any good thing. The fearing God is the key to knowing God and opens the door to the blessings of God. Turn with me to Psalms 25. I'm going to read 12 through 14. Psalms 25, 12 through 14. Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him, that man, shall he teach God, teach in the way he chooses. He himself shall dwell in prosperity, and his descendants shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. God wants to let you in on a secret. God wants to let you in on a secret. He wants to to reveal something to people that fear Him that's a secret to everybody else. It's a secret to everybody else. God, God wants to let you in on a secret, but it's for those who have a fear of Him. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That is the key. You want to enter into wisdom? The fear of the Lord is the beginning. It's the key to the doorway to God's wisdom and what and the blessings that lay. You know what you know Proverbs says about wisdom? Proverbs says this about wisdom. It says it's deep in the ground. It's where it's dark and hidden. It's it's lying hidden from us. And it says fear of the Lord is the beginning. It's the opening, it's the key that opens the door to the wisdom of God and to knowing God and to knowledge. So that's the second point, point number three. Fearing God uh, Fearing God can be taught. Fearing God can be taught it is a learned let's see it is a learned characteristic of your life In fact, Proverbs says what? Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child, but wisdom is the beginning 
the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So fearing God can be taught. It is a learned characteristic of life. So remember the little boy, the 12-year-old boy at the edge of the river? God says, here's why I did all this. So that you can teach your kids the fear of the Lord. So the fear of the Lord can be taught. It has to be learned. It just doesn't happen overnight. Okay? Let's uh, look at uh, Deuteronomy 17, 19, and 20. Deuteronomy 17, 19, and 20. Seventeen, nineteen, and 20 says this. And it, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it. He's talking about the law of the Lord. He's talking about the, whatever Bible they had back then. That he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of the law and these statutes. That his heart may not be lifted up above his brethren. That he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left. And that may he may prolong his days in the kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. What does that say to you? What does that say to you when you read that? Let me read it one more time. And it shall be with him, this law, he's going he's to hold on to it. It shall be with him. And he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes that his heart may not be lifted up above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or left, and that he may prolong his days in the kingdom. What does that mean to you? Tyler, what does that mean to you when you read that? What's that application that it have to your life? Anybody else? Reading the Bible. The statutes are in the Bible. Reading the Bible, loving the Bible, making a lot. Very good. That's one thing it says. It says, get a hold of this thing. Get a hold of this. This is, you know, it says over and over in Scripture, is uh, it talks about people that, uh, uh, that uh, held the word, uh, uh, despised the word of God. It says over and over, guys that despise the Word of God. That doesn't mean they don't like it. Despise means held it in low esteem. Set it on the shelf and it just collected dust. But if you want to fear God, if you want to learn to fear God, if you want to learn to, if you want to have the key that opens the door to the blessings of God, it's opening this word. It's getting this word into your life. But not only that, but what else does it say? It says not only to read it, but what? What does it say in that Deuteronomy passage? To observe it. To practice it. He says, not only, not only 
do you want to read it and memorize it and study it and know it? He, he says he wants you to apply it to your life. He wants to make observation. But here's, here's the catcher. If you live, it says, let me go back to it a minute, and here's the point. All right. Here's the point. And it shall be to him, with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to, and be careful to observe all the words of this law. So, so being, being, uh, being obedient to God is not fearing God. Being obedient, reading his word, studying it and applying it to your life is a reflection of fearing, the God, fearing God. But that is not fearing God. That is not uh, fearing God. Fearing God is different. Reading, holding God's word precious to you, being aware of it every day in your life, being aware of the presence of God, being obedient to Him, staying in line with His, with His statutes, commands, is a reflection of somebody that fears God. But it's not the fear of the Lord. It's not the fear of the Lord. We're going to learn that here in a minute. All right, so we've got three more and we'll be done. All right, so y'all got all that down, I hope. We're going to put it all together at the end, okay? In a cool way, I hope. All right, number four. There's six things. This is number four. There is a time when fearing God is to be afraid of God. And when is that? You can know it when He, God, is no longer at your side. Or on your side. There is a time when fearing God is to be afraid of God. You can know it when He is no longer on your side, uh, at your side, or on your side. Okay? Let's read in verse in Psalm 34 again. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. So God is, you're walking along beside God, he's got you tucked right here. But then you wander off, you leave God and you wander off from, from being tucked under his wing like a 
like a chick is tucked, and all of a sudden you'll come what? You'll come, the face of the Lord is against those, you'll come face to face with God. And He won't be that merciful, kind, loving, gracious God He was before, but He will be, He will be the mighty God. He will be the guy, He will be in opposition to you. Why is that? Man, He'll be, why is that, Derek? Huh? That's what I generally think. That's what I think God, God doesn't like me. God doesn't, God's all of a sudden, he's my enemy. God is, but you know why God's standing in front of you? Because you've wandered off. He's come around. He's got between you and disaster. He's got between you and disaster. And he is going to, he is angry for you. He is opposed to you because you are headed in the wrong direction. You have He's a parent. It's like your mom and your dad trying to stop you from getting in trouble or making a bad decision or getting angry with you because you made a bad decision. You're like, you know better than that. I mean, we've all had our mom or our dad, so, you know, really. How can God, how can big God be this kind, loving, merciful, gracious, under God? And the next thing you know, he's saying, one more step, buddy. One more step. I'm going to punch your lights out. One more step. One more step. And you're going to fall off a cliff. One more step. One more. He's your dad. Yeah, he's your dad. And you're, what does a dad do that loves his son? Or a mom. When, he's, when they're going off in the wrong direction. You're going to have to walk over me to get where you're headed. You're going to have to lay me out to get where you're headed because I love you. I love you. I care enough about you to get in your face. I care enough about you to oppose you. Mm-hmm. We're, gonna, we're about to see that. We're going to see that. We're going to see that here in just a minute. Um, but I want you to know that's the way God is. That's the way God is. That's the way God is. And so there's a time when you need to be afraid. There's a time to be, as a, his child, you need to be afraid. And, uh, and you'll know it when he is no longer at your side or on your side. But he's standing opposed to you. Let's look at, uh, let's look at uh, Luke 15, 14. Luke 15, 14. This is pretty cool. I learned this years ago when I was in just this situation. Man, I mean, I mean, I had lost it all. I had lost it all and I was having a pity party and whining. But I was far from God. I was far from God. And I read this one day and it, it changed a lot of things for me because I thought God had abandoned me. I thought God had left me alone. I thought God had rejected me. But I, how far I was from wrong. How far I was from wrong. So we know all the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son, he's living at home. He's close to, He's tucked under the wing of his father. 
He's living the good life. He's enjoying all the blessings. Remember number number uh, number two up there. He was a, he was living the he he was the son. He was a son in the household of his father, and he had the all that he was enjoying it all. But what did he do? What did he do? Stephen, what did prodigal son do? What? Yeah. He said, "What he he became prideful, entitled, narcissistic, if you will. I want what's mine, and I want it right now, because I am on the throne. I'm the man. I want what I want. I want it now. And Dad, see you later. I'm off on my own. So what happened to what happened to the prodigal son, Stephen?" It didn't go too well for him. In fact, he he spent it right. He just spent it like it, it was it was growing on trees. Used up all the inheritance, maybe in a matter of weeks. And it says it says when when he when he had spent it all up, and he didn't have anything. What happened? Well, here's what happened. Fifteen fourteen. But when he had spent it all there arose a severe famine in the land and he began to be in want. So just this gracious, merciful, kind, loving God just helped him out, didn't he? <laughs> when he had lost it all and there wasn't even a pea on the pod and he, and, he, and he started eating the pods that the pigs were eating, there a famine came on the land. Things got worse. When he was at his most desperate, things got worse. Why? Because God was opposing him. God was, God was, before you completely destroy your life, I'm getting in the way. Who controls the weather? God does. So a famine came. God said, pull the plug on rain showers and crops and all that. And, the, and it got worse. And I'll tell you here, if you're living in opposition to God, if you are without the fear of God, if you're living in opposition to God, God will put you on the rails and He'll grease the tracks for you. Because why? Because he'll, you'll get tired because you have known what it's like. You have been there. You have been, if you're His child, you have known what it's like to be tucked under. You have known what it's like to fear God. And you know the way back. You will go back. You will go back. But there is a time when fearing the Lord is to be afraid of Him. And you'll know it when He's no, no longer with you. Uh, he's no longer at your side and He's no longer on your side. All right, number five. There's good news. That's pretty bad news right there. But I'm going to tell you, there's some good news. There is some unbelievable news coming. Um, has to do with this fearing God. Number five. God's ears and eyes are attuned. Are attuned tuned in to those who 
fear him. Boy, that's good news. That's good news. Look again in Psalms 34. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. He comes and gets them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Uh, let's look at Isaiah 66 for just a minute. Isaiah 66. Oh, what a verse. Wish I could find it. <laughs> Here it is. Isaiah 66. Where are you, Isaiah? There you are. Isaiah 66. Verse 2. For all those things my hand has made and all those things and all those things exist says the Lord but on this one will I look on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. So man he says I'm got my eye out on you if you're contrite and you tremble at my word the fear of God. You tremble you're contrite and Tremble at my word. Psalms 84.2. Let's look at that for a second. Psalms 84.2. Psalms 84.2. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. My heart. God's eyes and ears are attuned to those who fear Him. And those who fear Him are people of a contrite heart who have a humble heart. They tremble at His Word. It means they hold His Word precious and don't dare lose it out of their life. And they're like this person. How... My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord to be in presence of God. My heart and my flesh cry out for God. Does your heart and your flesh cry out for the living God? Do they, are you so, is He so important to you and so precious to you that to just the thought of being away from Him breaks your heart and causes you to fear. To fear. To fear. You know, I never, all that I've been through, all these, this great sin that I've committed in my life, if it's taught me nothing else, it's taught me that I can't live five minutes without Him. I can't live five minutes without Him. That's why when I miss my quiet time for two or three days, I begin, there's this longing inside of me because I've been with Him. I've been with Him and I can feel myself wandering away and I'm irritable and I'm anxious and I've got evil thoughts and evil feelings in my life and I just think for a minute, I'm, I've, I've slipped away. 
I've slipped away and I feel a fear, a healthy fear that says, I need to get back. I need to get back to where it's good. I need to get back to where I, I want to get back to that place where every day, every minute, every moment, I want, to, I want to long, my heart wants to long, be with Him. And I want to be in His presence and I want to be with Him. That person, that person is the person that, I wrote this, God has your station set on his radio and your number on his speed dial if you are hungry and thirsty for him. God is all over you if you're all over him. God is all over you if you're all about him. His eyes and ears, his heart, he... He just, he's wonderful. He's wonderful. He's looking for people to embrace who want to embrace him. He's looking to be in a relationship with people who are looking to be in relationship with him. His eyes and ears are attuned to those that fear him. Last, last point. Here's some more good news for you. All right. Some more good news. The best news. The best news. Number six. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. Jesus has always, always been God's solution. to the balance of power. Don't forget that one, okay? Jesus has always been God's solution to the balance of His power. Okay? Write that one down. You don't forget that one. Because I'm going to show you something. I want you to turn to Romans 8. I want you to turn to Romans 8. So everybody can see what that is. That's a scale. We're going to read the last verses that we selected in Romans 34. Psalms 34, excuse me. Psalms 34. Thank you. Psalms 34. Psalms 34. Twenty-one and twenty-two. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. So if you want to run off, if you want to wander off, really what we do really more than anything else, we wander off. Because of why? Why do we wander off from God? That's what we're prone to. I'm, we'll take that for granted. It's, we have a sinful nature that wants to 
that's that enmity, flesh that enmity with God, but we wander off from God. Why, why, do, why do you think a, a, a baby chick would wander off from its mom? They don't really have any fear of what's out there. They don't have a fear. There's not a healthy fear that I get very far away from the mother. I'm going to be in trouble. I'm going to real trouble because why? Is because evil, evil shall slay the wicked. Evil will slay the wicked. God's not going to slay you. Evil will slay you. You walk out in that before the ark, and you, what's going, what are you going to lose? God walks into that with his family, his possessions, his belongings, everything he owns, all that he is, and what's going to happen to him. Man, he's going to be, it's going to be chaos. He might lose a family member. He might lose his belongings. He might lose his life. He might lose a limb. He can't do his career, can't do his profession, his career anymore. That's dangerous. But is, that, is, is it God's fault that you went in before the ark? It's not God's fault. He went in before the ark. He told you what to do. Wait on the ark. Wait till the priest set a foot on it, and then I'll make a way. I'll make a way for you. So Jesus has always been God's solution to the balance of power. So we had this terrible problem. We have this really bad problem. Uh, and it talks about it in Romans 3.23, and it says what? We have this terrible problem. Happened started in the garden. What happened? Derek? Huh? All? <laughs> All have sinned. And in the garden, sin was introduced. And it says the wages of sin. May I use the weight of sin? The weight of sin put everything out of balance and weighed everything down. And there was this real problem. <laughs> we had this real problem because we had no way, despite our best efforts, despite our very best efforts, there was no balance in life out again. And so God in His mercy, God said, but now we've got this holy God, this holy God who says, sin will not show up on my radar. Sin will not be tolerated. Perfection is the standard. The wrathful, powerful, mighty God who can part the waters of the Jordan says, the wages of sin, the results of sin is death. So you have a death sentence. Because of your sin that was introduced in the world through Adam and Eve, through Adam came sin to every man. You've got a death, you're born with a death sentence. You can't, you, there's nothing you can do to repay it, nothing you can do to balance it out. So God said, I'll balance it out. And so he sent Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is. Jesus has, is and has always been from the very beginning. And I'm going to show you, hopefully, what time is it? Somebody tell me the time. Okay, we're almost done. So we're going to learn from this. Probably won't have time, but I want you to see that Jesus is, Jesus is and has always been God's solution to the balance of power. Over here is God's holiness. Over here 
is God's holiness, but over here is God's love. And they are in perfect balance. There is a perfect balance of power. God's holiness that says, you need to be afraid of me. You need to be afraid of me. I'm a wrathful, vengeful, jealous God who does not tolerate sin, but I am a loving, merciful, caring, gracious God. And I'm a, I will redeem you. And it says for those who trust in Him, there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who have trusted in Him. Let's go over to this Romans 8 and we'll finish up. Romans 8. Man, this is good. I just hope I can hold it together. And I read it. Romans 8. Mm, what a passage. What a passage. I'm going to read the whole thing. There is therefore now no condemnation. There it is. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death. I've been, I've been released. I've been released. I've been released. I'm locked locked in sin, locked in jail, <laughs> throw away the key. But I've been set free because of Jesus. I've been set free because of Jesus. And here's what it says at the end. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. In other words, who, who can come be, is, is Satan going to come and accuse you, his angels? Who's going to come and accuse you if you're part of God's elect? If you're his son or daughter, who's going to come and accuse you? Because it's God who justifies. He's already made, he's already paid the price. price paid, the price has been paid for your penalty. He said, who's going who's to have an argument against you? Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Don't forget, I want you to remember, who makes intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're killed all day long. You are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I want to, where do you see a, where do you see a balance? Where do you see a, a symbol of a balance, of a scale? Where do you see that? When you see what? The lady with a blindfold and the scale. Court of law. Court of law. And here's the scenario. You are, you are sentenced before, when you're born. It says we're born in sin, just like Adam introduced sin in the human race, and we're born in sin. We're born already condemned to death. Death and, and separation from God. But God intervened, and it's like this. It's like a man who is, he, he's committed the crimes. 
he's in shackles and he comes before the judge for his sentence. And he's standing there and the judge is up on high. And, uh, and the judge starts reading it, reading off the crimes. Yes, I did that. Yes, I'm guilty of that. Yes. And so the judge lifts his gavel. He's about to give the sentence and someone steps in. Someone steps in. He said, but, but Father, but Father, I paid for that. See the, see the wounds in my hand? See the piercing in my side? Remember, I paid for that on the cross. And God lowers the gavel and he said, not guilty. Not guilty. It's as if he steps up, down out of his judge's box and takes off his robe. He comes and he sends him, I'll take it. I take it. I took it. I took it on the cross for you. Not guilty. Not condemned. I balance my power. I have a balanced power. How can I satisfy my holiness with my love? How can I make sure that my love is pure? My holiness. I had to punish. It wouldn't be true love if I hadn't, didn't, wasn't holy. It wouldn't be holy if I wasn't loved. There's your solution. There's your solution. There's your solution. And I, I, what I wanted to do today is I wanted with all those words was to point out how this scenario with the with Jordan River is a picture of Jesus. It's all a picture of Jesus. The Ark of the Covenant or the, the, the box with the presence of God in it is a picture of Jesus and what Jesus has done for us. He has stood in the gap so that we could cross on dry land, so we wouldn't have the punishment and lose our lives. And those stack of stones is to remind the Jewish people that God is their Savior. This powerful, mighty, holy, wrathful, vengeful, jealous God is their Savior. He is the one that protects Him. He's the one that protects Him from His own wrath. He's got a balance of power. He's a balance of power. And so that, that father standing there with his son, this would have been things, this would have been some really good things to tell his son, Dad, God did all that. It, I kind of am scared. I mean, I see this raging river and I think if God did that, how, I mean, he must be like, he must be like really powerful and I, I'm kind of scared. I mean, I'm scared of this too. I'm a, I got a lot of fears. I got a lot of scare. I don't know this God. And so dad says, listen, son, I want you to know there's a big difference in having fear and fearing God. But yet, son, you need to be afraid. You need to be afraid if you're not close to God. You need to be afraid. So God doesn't want you to be afraid, but He wants you to be afraid if you're not with Him. And then He says, God, um, son, if you'll fear God, it'll be a key that'll open a door to blessings that you cannot even imagine. Blessings in your life that you can't even imagine. And, then he, and he said, son, you haven't learned all there is to know about what it means to fear God. Fearing God is not obeying a set of rules. It's not 
It's, it's, it's not uh, the, all these things we do, all these rituals that we do. Going to, he said, it's, those things are only a reflection of fearing God. Fearing God is the beginning. Fearing, you have to fear God in order to be willing to do these things that what? Point to Jesus. They point to Jesus. Son, you do need to be afraid of God. There's going to be a, there's, there is a time to be afraid of God, and that's when He's not on your side. Uh, he's not by your side, and He's not on your side, son. If you find yourself in opposition to God, you need to be afraid. Because if you keep take, going that path, evil will overcome you. God won't be able to protect you. God won't protect you. You need to be afraid. If you're His, if you're his child, you need to be afraid if you're, He's not with you. But let me tell you this, son. If you, have, if you fear God with all, if you long for God, if, you have, if you're humble and contrite and want to stay close to God, and your heart's for God, and you can't live five minutes without God, he said, God will, you will, God will, you'll be on his speed dial. God has favorites, son. He's got a favorite, and you, you can be one of his favorites. Oh, he's, it's available to all. He treats everybody equal, but he's, he said, if you're willing to, if you're willing to stay close to me, follow me, follow my word, obey my commands, stay close to me, because you know you need, because you know you need them. He'll, he'll, he'll be close to you. And then lastly, Jesus has always been God's solution to the balance of power. All of the things that happen in the Jordan River are a picture of the salvation of God through Jesus Christ. Son, there's coming a Savior someday. We don't really understand it. It started way back with Adam and Eve, and it's been carried through. It's been every, every, all these things, these sacrifices that we make, and this shedding of the blood that we do, son, every day, is... I don't really understand it all, but I know that somewhere God is bringing salvation. God is going to bring one who's going to save us forever. He's, he's, going, to be, he's going to finish it. And there won't be any way, there won't be any way that you'll ever be separated from God. And you need to believe that. You need to believe, you need to trust in the Savior that's coming. Just like God saved us from this mighty river, and carried us over to the promised land. God's, God's coming with a Savior. His name is Jesus. So let's, uh, you may have any comments or questions. No comments or questions. All right. So those are six things you remember about fearing God from Psalm 34. All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today and um, I pray that we would uh, take, the, take this to heart. I, I pray I would take it to heart.